Well, hello everyone. My name is Kyle and this is Uplift. Welcome to you. This message is going to be streamed for the conversation on Sunday morning. So if you're seeing us there, glad to see you. It will also be uh, streamed on our podcast, Anchor Point. So however you're finding us, we're glad that you are here. We're in a new series from the Gospel of John. The series is called That You May Believe. That's the name of the series. It's a short series over the most at least what I think is the most unique gospel of the four. And it's inspired by one of John's final sentences. This is from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is what he, this is what he wrote. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, I love that, by believing you may have life in his name. I love that the gospel of John has a purpose, a stated purpose, and it's that you may believe. In fact, that very same action of belief is from the latter part of our text tonight, from John chapter 8, verses 24, and also from verse 30. Here they are. I told you Jesus said that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then in verse 30, at the tail end of this text in John 8, where we're going to be, As he was saying these things, Jesus wrote, many believed in him. Now, both of these statements come as a response to something Jesus said. And this passage is actually in your order of worship. Jesus began an extended conversation by saying this from John chapter 8, verse 12. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen, there are very, there are very few statements in all of Scripture that make me tremble. This is one of them. It's just one of them. We're going to unpack the implications of this verse in just a moment, doing a thematic overview. And tonight we're going to talk about One of the bigger themes of John is the theme of light and darkness. So to do that, let's talk about light for a few minutes. Ancient folks, the ancients, without the benefit of modern science and innovation, offered an evolution of definitions and explanations of light. I'm going to give you a quick rundown. You can write all these down if you want. Go Google them later. Aristotle great Greek philosopher, defined light as the activity of what is transparent. I find that pretty intriguing. Philosopher and poet Empedocles discerned that light comes from the sun. We assume that. People had to figure that out. But that this light moves too fast for us to comprehend its movement. You know Leonardo da Vinci. He knew that light casted inverted images. And Descartes, through some biological experiments in the Middle Ages, proved that our eyes capture upside down images, that our brains actually correct. And you know Isaac Newton, he understood with a science experiment that white light is actually the accumulation of all the colors of the spectrum. And he knew that by letting sunlight pass through two prisms. Someone you may not were, no, James Clerk Maxwell theorized in the 19th century that light was a wave because he noted that 
electricity and magnetism moved through space at the speed of light. And speaking of the speed of light, let's talk about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein and his famous theory of relativity was actually born from his own thought experiment that asked this, what would happen if you could ride a beam of light, if that was even possible, if you could ride a beam of light and you look next to you at a beam of light adjacent to you, what, what would that look like? And he theorized that that adjacent beam of light would appear to be motionless. It wasn't moving at all, which means that time actually, in a really cool scientific way, stops at the speed of light. In other words, that in theory, if you were a light year away from Earth, which by the way is six trillion miles, if you were a light year away from Earth and you happen to ride that beam of light to us so that we could see it, even though you were canvassing six trillion miles, you would appear to make that trip in less than the blink of an eye. That's the power of light. And we know because of that, that light is really energy. I want to let you know about a certain facility. It's called the National Ignition Facility. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's outside of San Francisco. It's been around for a while. It's trying to figure out how to generate nuclear fusion with light. Now, they got all kinds of reasons for doing that. You can Google it. Some of them are a little scary, to be honest but they're using light to do it. Now in 2021, they finally figured out how to do some of the things they wanted to do. What they did is they focused a laser light, you gotta listen to this, on a target the size of a BB, you know what a BB is, to produce a hotspot the diameter of a human hair. And on that little hotspot, they generated more than 10 quadrillion watts a fusion power for 100 trillionths of a second. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute because last year they finally achieved nuclear fusion with light, which is combining two atoms. They replicated the experiment and for the first time produced a fusion reaction that produced more energy than the energy that was required to spark it. Now, this is what all that means. Let me kind of give you the Kyle Strickland version, okay? In 100 trillionth of a second, when that happened, light produced more power than all the power generated in the rest of the world at that very moment. It's unbelievable. In other words, this is what this means. Light is the ultimate source of energy in the world. It's the ultimate source of energy. Now, now that you've kind of got the download of light, let's read Jesus's statement again. John chapter eight, verse 12. This is what he said. I, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus's claim here, I think, is a little more robust in regard to what we kind of know about light. There's so much more to this. It's so layered. Jesus is the all-encompassing power of the world. We know that, 
But now that we understand it in science and physics, you get a sense of what he's actually saying. This power that Jesus is, this idea that he is this power, it's not just found in John 8 in scripture. It's found in other places. There's a few famous ones. John wrote it earlier in his gospel in John chapter 1. You know this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Look at verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was, and here it is, the light of men, of people. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness is not overcome it. Speaking again to this power, here's what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter one, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And look at this, he upholds, he is the glue of the universe by the word of his power. This is Jesus, the light of the world. And Jesus as the light of all humanity provided the energy for all of creation. And look, the the paradigm of creation expressed by Christianity, this is a paradigm with answers. It has sustainable answers. I want us to just consider for a minute, kind of put all this together and to consider the creation narrative itself from Genesis chapter one. And we're gonna find light here. Let's read this, Genesis one, starting in verse one. In the beginning, what did he do? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the the waters. In verse three, God said, what did he say? Let there be light. And what was it? There was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning. This was the first Day. Now, verse three in this passage is most critical because it combines some things that John writes in John chapter one. We see God's word, right? And what does that word do? It produces light. So John and the early believers interpreted Genesis chapter one, verse three as the action of Jesus. He's the word. And he's the light because that's what happens. So in creation, calling forth light, it was God's first creative act. And here's why that's important. A little theology for you. Because light in this passage is the antithesis of the darkness of earth's birth from verse two. This darkness, Genesis one, verse two, is foreboding. It was a symbol of formlessness. And the Spirit of God kept that darkness from overtaking and overpowering this new planet. But the light, the light of the first day, it wasn't the light of physical illumination. Because we find later 
in Genesis chapter 1 that God creates physical light on the fourth day of creation. You know this, Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be light in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. So what that tells us is that the light from day one is something else. It's something supernatural. It's something revelatory. Let's read it again. Verse three of Genesis one, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning and there was the first day. Here's a couple of things we know about this light then from verse three. It's the only thing in all of creation that was created by decree. The only thing. All other acts of creation were created by decree and some kind of action. Only thing. Here's the second thing. With the creation of this light, God separated or categorized light and darkness. So again, we got to think supernaturally here. This isn't physical light, but what Genesis 1-3 tells us is that God used the creation of light to signify order. On the first day, God categorized order and chaos. That's what he did. Now, these are the ideas that John presented in his gospel. In fact, when you read through the gospel of John, you find this theme of light. It just kind of jumps from the text. And John creates this expectation as you read, if Jesus is the light and life, then he's the one who provides the order to the chaos. That's kind of what the point that John's kind of driving here. Let's kind of think a little further about this. If Genesis chapter 1 doesn't find God creating a physical light until day 4, then some source other than the sun provided light for earth in the first three days. This is a, this is a miracle, by the way. It's miraculous. And it's not the only place this happens in Scripture, by the way. Scripture begins and it ends with a world filled with light and no sun. It's in both places. Let me show you. This is the end of it. Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 3. In the new heavens and the new earth, no longer will will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. Verse 4. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Look at verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they'll reign forever and ever. Jesus is the light of the world. So when we hear Jesus make this declaration about himself, what we find here is who we need Jesus to be. And that's why this passage makes me tremble. Let me read it to you again. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who do we need Jesus to be? Well, there's two things. And the first is this. that Jesus is our absolute. We need Jesus to be our absolute. We, we got to have it. 
And this is what Jesus says about himself, by the way. Absolute. Jesus, let me give you some context to John 8. Jesus makes this statement in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Tabernacles. In that feast, there were four large lamps that were lit in the temple complex. It was on the very same night where water was drawn from the spring of Siloam. Big night, big deal. People danced in Jerusalem with lit torches and music echoed through the Jerusalem streets. It was actually said that at the time that these lamps were lit, that every courtyard in the city was lit by the light of the temple. This feast, by the way, the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrated the Exodus and it inspired songs of liberation and freedom from slavery. And it was in the midst of this celebration that Jesus made this statement. You see these lights? I'm kind of hearing. This isn't the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And I want you to hear this. He didn't say he was a light of the world. He said he was the light of the world. He's not one of many. He's the only one. And look, there are some lights that compete with Jesus. There are. I mean, we often mistake Jesus for the light of careers, right? That perhaps our careers are the filter through which the world should be seen. Or maybe we see the, the, the world through the light of politics, and that's the filter through which the world can be seen. Or maybe, maybe we see the world through the filter of our families. And look, it's easy to do, right? We invest so much of time in these good places, in careers, and even in infrastructure and government and our families. We hope for these things. We care deeply about how our world is run. We care deeply about our families and our good careers. These are good lights. They're good lights. They give us a framework in which to live, but to ever think that those lights are all-consuming is to ignore, ignore Jesus' absolute claim. He is the light, the only light. Every other light is subservient to him. He is the light that shines on every question, every doubt, every difficulty. He is the one to whom we look when times are good and when they're bad. He is the one through whom all other lights are to be filtered. The light of the world. He's the light of creation, the energy of the world. He is the absolute in a world of relativism. Who else can make such a claim like this? I mean, who would? Who would do this? As the light of the world, Jesus is the way the world should be seen. And this is who we need Jesus to be. We need an absolute. We need a north star. And only Jesus can be that. And praise God. But we also find that we need Jesus to be something else. If we're going to be honest, this is the second thing. Jesus is our assurance and we need him to be our assurance. I want you to check this out. The first thing that Jesus is an absolute, I'm the light of the world, is what he says about himself. But right here when he says, those who follow me will not walk in darkness, that's what he says about us. That's what he says about us. This, I'm going to read it again. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I want you to notice something here. Jesus makes a guarantee here. He makes a guarantee that those who follow him receive two immeasurable benefits. They will not walk in darkness 
and they will have the light of life. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing here. What I think he's doing. I think he's making a reference to the story of creation where these themes are prominent, where the world begins with these themes, with both darkness and light. I think he's referencing the story that he wrote, that he created. I think he's thinking about the first moments of history. I think he's thinking about this foreboding darkness that covered the world. I think he's thinking about the moments when the world hung in formlessness, when it was chaotic and without purpose, and when such chaos was just kind of held in check by the Spirit. I think he was remembering the moment when the him, as the spoken word of God said, let there be light. I think he's thinking about the moment when the darkness found, oh, you got to listen, when the darkness found a place it could not go. To the moment when all of chaos found its boundary. I think that's what he's saying. And here in John chapter 8, I imagine Jesus drew from that memory when he spoke these words. When he said that those who follow him will never walk in darkness. His assurance is that the darkness in our lives will have a sure boundary. Chaos, it's in check. It's in check. The world, your world, my world, our circumstance. If God's in control, it can never be out of control. Ever again, even if the visible data says otherwise. Even if it says otherwise. You will never, ever walk in darkness. And that is some blessed assurance. Again, from John chapter 8, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. You might be looking for some fresh energy to believe. You might be looking for something in which to believe. Listen, no other light is going to shine so bright as Jesus. You can put your faith in it from now and for forever. May the Lord give you this confidence.